Tom said, I'm Pastor Matt. I am the creative arts pastor here at Central Assembly. Uh, if you don't know what that means, I don't either, but we're making it up as we go. Uh, mostly it just means that I, I get to oversee a lot of the things that uh, you interact with on a, a week-to-week basis from Facebook to the slides that you see here on Sunday morning uh, to the worship team uh, to the beautiful production people in the back who are making sure you can hear me nice and cl- loud and clear. And so uh, that's part of what I do. Uh, I also oversee connect groups as well. And so uh, I get to be a busy guy. It's awesome. Ministry is awesome. It's great to be here. Um, I'm excited for, past, for Amanda to get here too. That's gonna, it's going to be great. Where well, I'm excited. She's a great fit, Pastor Tom, I think. And so, <clears throat> well, to start off, before we get going too far, I want to say again, thank you. Look at the stage. If it was your first time here, we promise it's not always like this. Uh, Turkey Roundup is today, like you've heard a couple times. and I, I want to encourage you and thank you uh, for giving every year. I've been here for three years. Every year I've been at a Turkey Roundup, it seems like the turkey number has grown. Uh, and that speaks well of you as a church, that you're excited to, to bless people with meat. On Thanksgiving. <laughs> Nothing better than blessing people with meat. Uh, and I really encourage you to stay afterwards today. Uh, spend a little time handing out these turkeys uh, to people who, who need them. It'll, it's a great way to start off this week. And to, to start off the Thanksgiving week is to give out a turkey and, and see somebody smile and, and appreciate the gift that you, we give as a community to them. And so definitely consider taking a time out of your afternoon. Uh, your team is going to lose anyway. So is mine. So no big deal. Uh, it's not that big. But stay and enjoy the community that you get to enjoy along with everybody else. And you guys go out to uh, Breakwater, correct, Pastor Tom? Breakwater? Afterwards? Breakwater afterwards. So you get to have a meal with, uh, with uh, those you serve with as well. So consider doing that. So this year, as, as I've gotten the opportunity to preach, and Tom has asked me to, to take Sundays, I have preached about the uh, sermon series that Tom did last October called Like a Good Neighbor. And that whole sermon series is from Mark chapter 12. And if you have your Bible or your phone or a tablet, whatever you get your Bible on, I encourage you to take it out and, and turn there or select there, depending on which device or thing you're using. And Mark chapter 12 is where it's taken from. And in Mark chapter 12, we see that Jesus is actually being questioned by the religious leaders of the day. So if you could imagine some wisecracked person coming into church and starting to ask questions, and Samuel, uh, Tom, and I get up and start asking them questions, maybe a little bit of what it would have been like for Jesus and for the people around to see Jesus being questioned. And so Jesus gets this question in Mark chapter 12, starting verse 29, and it's, he is asked, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest thing that we can pay attention to as, as an individual in our lives? And Jesus gives in Mark chapter 12, verse 29, this response. Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord your, our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And verse 31 is the important one. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. 
And so, when we look at these verses, it's easy to ask, I think, and I, I found it easy to ask, which is more important, loving God or loving your neighbor? And I think if Jesus were here and we were to ask him this question, Jesus, which, which of these commandments, because you, you were asked, which is the greatest, and you kind of gave two, that's cheating? You can't, when, you, you know, you can't give two answers when you have one commandment, but Jesus does it, he's Jesus, he can do it, he can pull it off. And I think if we ask which one is the most important of these commandments, I think Jesus would say yes to both. He would say loving your neighbor and loving me is synonymous. They're the same. It's the same coin that I'm talking about. You cannot love God without loving your neighbor. And you cannot love your neighbor without loving God. And so this last year, if you've been around at all and heard me preach, I've spoken a lot about loving your neighbor and what that looks like and how we can love our neighbor as ourselves. Um, but today I want to take a moment because I do believe that it, loving God and loving our neighbor is that connected. I want to take a moment today and talk about loving God. The first part of this great, greatest commandment. And I think by looking at how we love God, we can learn about loving our neighbor through there. And so I want to look at the context a little bit of Mark chapter 12, because I think it gives us great insight into what loving God is all about, why loving God is so important, and what we can do uh, to love God more fully in our lives. And I think that's the hope of all of us, right? We hope to love God more. We hope to have more love for Him uh, in our lives. Uh, and so to kind of give you an example or to, to make it stick out in your mind this morning, I want to use a sermon illustration, but if I don't bring it up now, when I bring it up in a little bit, you're going to be completely confused. Um, and so I have a confession to make to all of you, and hopefully it won't go too far beyond here, but I doubt it will stay here. And that confession is that I think, as, as the kids would say, that bowling is super lit. It's just awesome. I love bowling a lot. I enjoy bowling a lot. When I was in high school, I was on the high school bowling team. Thank you. Thank you. I was on the high school bowling team. Don't laugh. And you're wondering, I'm sure now you're wondering, how, Matt, how did you keep the ladies away with, from you when you were walking down the halls in your bowling shirt? I'll tell you how I was homeschooled, so I was safe. <laughs> so that wasn't even an issue. I bowled a lot. I bowled every Saturday in the fall and in the winter. I bowled on the weekdays. I got lessons. I taught other people how to bowl. I had a bowling team. I ran into one of my bowling friends not that long ago named Dusty, and I went, hey, do you still bowl? And he said, yeah, do you still bowl? I said, yeah, of course I do. I will, I will uh, I'll give you my highest score. Just to, I'm trying to convince you that I love bowling. That I'm not just saying bowling is lit. That I actually truly love. My highest game was a 272. My highest average was a, 180, a 189. And I can give you other facts about bowling, but I'm going to do them later. We're good. I love it. I love bowling. And hopefully, hopefully that connects with some of you. Hopefully you love, some of you love bowling. I'm not the only one. But if I'm the only one, thank you. If I'm the only one, it's all right. Because I still love it. So I want to use that as an example for you this morning to help loving God stand out uh, in your mind and in your heart this morning. 
And so I want to read the first few verses of, of this interaction between the religious leaders and Jesus. So we started in verse 29, move back to verse 13 in chapter 12. We're going to read the interaction that Jesus has with the Pharisees and the Herodians, and we're going to learn something from them this morning. We're going to learn from their mistake what not to do in our, our lives. So verse 13 of chapter 12 says this, And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came to him and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearance, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. We'll stop right there in verse 15. As I read this interaction, this first interaction in these, this context of Mark 12, I, I think and wonder why the Pharisees are questioning Jesus. And the biggest reason I wonder that is is because when we read the story of Jesus, we naturally kind of put the bad guy trope on the Pharisees, on the Herodians. We naturally say, well, these guys are the bad guys. They, they, they were doing wrong. And I wonder about this because, really, they were trying to protect something. They were trying to protect a faith that the Israelites and the Jews had followed through for thousands of years. And I wonder how they couldn't have seen Jesus because of all people in that day, they should have been the first ones to see it. Out of all the people in the known world, these were the people that knew the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the, the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they knew that those books backwards and forwards, right and left, I'm sure if we had quizzed them, they would have been able to come up with every answer. And so here's Jesus, and we can see today that he fulfilled all the law and the prophets, that he was who he said he was, was the Son of God. In fact, we're going to hear in a few weeks about wise men from who knows where from the East that saw it before they did, before the Pharisees did. And here comes Jesus saying things that are counter to what they believe, saying things that rattled their beliefs, and all they knew is they didn't like this dude, Jesus. They didn't like what he said. They didn't like how he talked. They didn't like the things he preached or put forth. And so here comes their, their question. We're going to trap him. We're going to get him. We're going to get him with taxes. Can't make this stuff up. Can't make this stuff up. We're going to get them with taxes. So they say to him, "Teacher, why do we do we? Uh, teacher, we know that you are true. We know that you care about no one's opinion. For you are swayed by no one's appearance, and you truly preach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not?" See, even when they ask this question, like, I read, and you're like, 
the first two verses, you know something's up. Right? It's like when your kids come to you and they're like a little too friendly and a little too nice. And Mom and Dad, I love you so much. I care about you. I love the way you parent and correct me. It's so wonderful. Or your spouse, when she or he comes to you and, oh, I'm so glad that we've been married and so glad that we are together and I love you and they hold you a little bit and they maybe give you a kiss and, oh, I'm so glad that we're together. Or friends, you know, that person that calls you and they're like, hey, how's it going? You're like, oh, it's great. How's life? What have you been up to? You know, have you been doing anything with these other friends that we have? Have you been enjoying life? And you're like, you're like, your spidey sense kind of goes off like, you want something. You want something. You need something from me. Just get to it. And Jesus tells them, and it says that Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, asks for a coin. And see, the thing is, is we can, I think we can say, well, maybe Jesus had this like supernatural premonition or word of God that the Pharisees were being hypocrites here. But I'm pretty sure they were airmailing it from the very beginning. <laughs> I think the way they were saying it, Jesus, I mean, seriously, you don't, you don't care about anybody. You don't care about any other people's opinions. You speak truth. I think they were just laying on heavy. Because they thought they were right. See, the religious leaders, they didn't want to really find out if they should pay taxes or not. They didn't want to find out if they really should be doing something or were doing something wrong in scripture, in the, that contrary, was contrary to Scripture. They didn't care because they believed that Jesus was preaching against their beliefs, what they believed in. The Pharisees and the Herodians, they obviously didn't want the truth. They wanted a trap. They didn't want the truth. They didn't care about the truth. See, I think their hypocrisy, the hypocrisy Jesus saw in the Pharisees is this, that they loved their religion and enjoyed the benefits that God was centered around brought. Again, in a different color. They loved their religion and enjoyed the benefits that God it was centered around brought. It's so important I thought it needed to be in two colors. It's better in green, I heard. It would have been better in purple, but... See, I, I think this is this is really important distinction. The difference between loving something and enjoying something. I think there's a difference inside of these two ideas that really demarks how we act or what we think towards something. But before we get into the difference between loving and enjoying, I think we need to talk about this word hypocrisy. Because I think we, we think hypocrisy means we say one thing and do another thing. Like that New Year's resolution that you're going to make up in a couple weeks about doing something. And a lot of us sometimes make New Year's resolutions that we never intend to keep. We never intend to do. We never intend to even try. It just makes us feel nice to make the resolution. And I'll, I'll tell you what, that's not hypocrisy. That's, that's lying. That's lying to yourself. That's lying to the people around you. 
And so that's not a hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is, is much more nuanced and much more uh, gray. And here, here's what I think hypocrisy is. It's saying that you love something and acting a different way. So it's, this is really evident in a relationship, I think. Really, it really shines through when we talk about a, a marriage or a relationship. If you say that you love someone and you care about them and you tell the people around you that you care and love about this person and then behind closed doors you have an affair and your actions don't line up with what you're saying, that is hypocrisy. When you act one way in public and say one thing in public and act like you love God and in the background you know that you don't love God and your actions speak differently. That is hypocrisy. And so hypocrisy starts when we no longer love someone. Hypocrisy starts when we no longer love God. And so I think that's a clear distinction we need to make about hypocrisy in our hearts. Is it's not saying one thing and doing, it, doing something completely different. It's saying you do and in the background acting a different way. And again, I, I know that this can sound really small, like a small difference, but I think it's a huge difference. Because if we know in our hearts that you're just not going to do anything anyway, you, it's already a lie. And I think hypocrisy happens in our lives so easy. It's easy to say that we love something and act a different way. I think our religion, we can start loving our religion more than we love the God that it's centered around. You can enjoy this church building. It's a great church building. You can enjoy the people here. They're great people. You can enjoy Pastor Tom. He's a great pastor. And love those things more than you love the God it's supposed to be centered around. The purpose of the gospel is to show the world what it is meant by living a life for God. And we can get caught up in wanting more knowledge, better theology, more worship, and all that our religion and faith can bring us without ever having the actions of faith necessary to love God. So what's the difference between enjoying something and loving something? So that's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is, like I said, Starts when you no longer love something. So what's the difference between enjoying something and loving something? So again, have you ever been to Cold Stone? They have the like it, love it, enjoy it sizes. Enjoy it, like it, love it. The love it size is the biggest one. That's a good example. That's a good start. You love something, you, you want the most of it. You love it a lot. In my life, a way that I can describe love and, and show you the difference between like, loving something and enjoying something is in marriage. I love Kaylin. She's awesome. And I would do anything to make our relationship right if it's wrong. Through thick and thin, in better and worse, as long as we both shall live, that is the commitment I have made to Kaylin. I will do anything anything to make our relationship right. That's love. I enjoy all of you. 
You're great people. You're great. But here's the thing. I can't give you the same commitment level as I've given my wife. I can't. It's impossible. Because if I had to make sure every one of our relationships was right, no matter what, no matter how hard, no matter how much time, I'll tell you what, it's not possible. It's not. I enjoy you guys. You guys are awesome. But it's different. Here's another example. Uh, skiing. Some of you guys love skiing, right? It's, it's something you love doing. And over these past few days, as we've had cold weather, it has been, the uh, Spirit Mountain's been able to make snow. There's three feet of snow up at Spirit Mountain right now. Three and a half feet. It's a great base. Some of you guys are really excited about hearing that. You're really excited to get on the hills and go downhill skiing and, and go downhill snowboarding. Uh, I like it. It's fun. But if I don't do it this year, it's okay. No big deal. Bowling. We're back to bowling. If I do poorly at bowling, like some of you think, if, hey, if I get pins down, we're good. If I don't get over 150 pins, if I don't get a score of 150, I have failed. It's like, what's going wrong? If I don't get one game over 200 when I bowl, it's like, man, what it's, uh, something was off today. I love bowling. I love doing the act of, the, just the, having the time to bowl. I've spent the time and the energy and the effort to learn about it, to love it, to, to know how to bowl. I have an addiction. It's okay. <laughs> but I have worked hard to improve my bowling. Some of you just enjoy it. It's a good time. You have fun. And you don't care the score. That's not me. If we ever go bowling, no, I care the score. I care if I beat you. It's, it, it matters. So the Pharisees and the Herodians, they didn't love God. They loved their religion. They were hypocrites. Because on the outside, they had everything together. They knew it all. So starting in verse 18, we'll pick up back in Mark. We'll look at the Sadducees, and they come with a question to Jesus. That'll teach us something about what it means to love God. Verse 18, Then the Sadducees, and the Sadducees came to him, who say, who say that there is no resurrection? And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no children, the man must take the widow raise up an uh, and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. It's already starting off bad. Seven brothers. Oh. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third, likewise, and the, se and the seventh left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they raise again, whose wife shall she be? For the seven had her as a wife. And Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. That's a scathing indictment of who they are. Reading this little section, it really reminds me of my daughter, Myra. She'll, she really loves the big mall. You know what I'm talking about? The big mall? The mall of America, down in the cities. 
She really loves it. She distinguishes the mall up in Miller Hill as the little mall and the big mall as the mall of America. And this ver- these verses all together just remind me so much of Myra because she wants to go to the big mall so bad. And she'll come up with these like crazy situations where like it leads to us going to the big mall. So, so this, is, this is what it's like. She'll make this list. And I'll know she'll want to go to the big mall at the very beginning because she's already asked. And this is what she'll say. She'll say, Daddy, first we'll eat breakfast and then I'll go to school. And I'll be a good listener at school. That's an important part. <laughs> then I'll eat all my lunch and I'll play with my friends. Mommy, Dad, you'll go to work and after work you come and pick me up and I'll tell you about all the good things that I did today. And that I was a good listener. This is sounding like one big run-on sentence, I know, but she's four. So when you come and pick me up, because I was a good listener, can we go to the big mall? The reality is, at the very beginning of her little scenario where we end up going to the Mall of America, I knew at the beginning we weren't going to the Mall of America. (laughs) Could you see Jesus as they're asking this question with the seven brothers, and he's like tapping his toe, like, come on. Let's go. Let's get this over with. I got other things to do. I got people to heal. <laughs> and when, the, when, the, when they're finally done asking his question, their question, he's ready to respond in just the perfect way. Is this not the reason you were wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. See, faith is an interesting thing in our lives. Loving God is interesting. And if I could make a step-by-step program that all of us could do to magically have greater faith in our lives, that'd be awesome. It'd be great. But the reality of faith is that some of us just naturally have faith. You know that person that you talk to and you're like, man, things are really hard. And they're like, hey, everything's good. God's great. And you're like, wow. How do you do that? Some of us have been brought through a lot of stuff, Right? you got a lot of history telling you that God's faithful. You know it. Some of us, we still struggle every day. We read the Bible and it says, God's faithful, and you go, well, it says God's faithful, so I'll take that. We're all in different places. The Sadducees missed the whole point of faith. And completely. They were stuck trying to understand their correct theology and what they believed was right instead of really seeking after God. They wanted to explain the whole situation. They wanted to know every detail and every moment. See, for them, they loved the theology that tried to explain their faith and enjoyed the security that God, the God, their faith provided. Again in green. They loved their theology that tried to explain their faith and enjoyed the security that God their faith provided. We do this. Family, we do this. Throughout history, Christianity has done this over and over again. We feel a move of God. We experience a move of God in our lives. Then we try to explain it. And the theology becomes the big, the big thing. Instead of serving and loving God. And I want to stop here before, before I go too far on the stop. And you, I can feel maybe some of you getting angry. 
Theology is important. There's a reason that Kayla and I are Assemblies of God pastors and we attend Centrally Assembly of God in Superior and not other churches. It's important. There's a reason I'm here. But when when theology comes before connectedness with God, we have an issue. The religious leaders of Jesus' day had loving God down seriously good. There's none of you that, were, that can be more religious than a, a Pharisee, a Herodian, or a Sadducee. They, ha- they had that in spades. But they knew not the scriptures or the power of God. See, our words cannot save us, but they are proof of what God has done in our hearts. That's called justification. But being justified is loving God. The words you say, they can't save you. But believing in God can. Loving Him can. I think the question that comes out of the Sadducees' question to me is, what does it really mean to love God? And I think John 15 speaks volumes to us on the importance of what it means to love God. It says this, Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. So here we come back to Jesus' answer. Love God, love your neighbor. So he who loves God, what's the fruit, right? What's the fruit that the... John 15 is talking about. And I believe some of that fruit is loving our neighbors. That through him, this happens. So it ends up being a question of what is your focus on and what detail are you paying attention to? Are you paying attention to being connected with God? Are you paying attention to your theology? Are you paying attention to... Your community? Are you paying attention to the friends that are trying to tell you what to believe? What are you focusing on? So, bowling again. We're back here. Bowling alleys are 60 feet long. They're really long. And when you're bowling, I will put money down that most of you are looking at the pins. The problem with the pins is they're 60 feet down the alley. They're really far away. Pins down there at the end, there's 10 of them, there's, they weigh about 3.6 pounds, so that means there's 35 pounds of pins down there that you need to knock down with whatever size bowling ball you end up picking up. Most of you, it's probably 10 pounds. It's a lot of weight to move around. But you end up not hitting the pins a lot of times, or what you want to hit, because your focus point is the pins. And the first lesson in the many lessons that you learn on how to bowl better. So this is your top tip. Take this to the bank, hopefully. Is there's these arrows. And they're about 30 feet. They're half the distance down the alley. You're supposed to look at those and trust that when you hit your right spot and everything's right, that the right mechanics will bring the ball down the rest of the way. Your focus point is half the distance of what it should be. 
I got to the point when I was bowling, and this is not arrogance, it's just true. I get to the point where I could bowl, I was bowling enough where if I hit the right board, I could tell you which board I hit. If I hit that board, I tell you it's a strike. Because I knew the mechanics. I knew what was happening. So bowling is about what you're focused on. Faith is about what you're focused on. And if your focus is 60 feet down the, down the road on having all the correct theology, you miss that the reality is that John 15 tells us our responsibility is to be connected with God first. And that when we're connected with God, the, the theology things come true. Because when we're, when we're focused on loving God, abiding in Him, loving Him, we want the truth. And that's what theology is supposed to be. It's supposed to explain the truth. Amen. That's what theology is. It's explaining the truth. And so, so fix your focus on connecting with God. And I believe with all my heart that as, as your faith goes down the bowling alley, you'll get a strike. Is that too much? Is it getting too much? I'm feeling like it's too much. So let's end on that note. Here, here we go. So how do we have faith correctly today? In light of what we learned about this, the Pharisees and the Herodians, loving the wrong way and enjoying the benefits that came. And the Sadducees the same way, loving the wrong thing and enjoying the benefits. How can we have faith correctly? Here's, here's, here's what it is. We need to learn. We have to want to understand our faith more and more. Just like a spouse or a best friend, we want to know them. We want to be students of who they are. So loving something means that we want to know more about it. Loving God means you want to know more about Him. So that's number one, learn. Number two, observe. Have a role model. Some of you guys are shooting towards a person or an individual named Jesus. And that's a great person to want to have as a role model. The problem is, like the bowling alley, that's a really long way away. And so I encourage you, observe someone. Have a role model. Have somebody that you feel like, I would like to be like them. I like the way that they have a relationship with their spouse or their family. I love the way they encourage others around them. Have role models that inform you and help you take steps towards Jesus. So be, be an observer. Second, volunteer. Help others. God does amazing things. Amazing things when we sacrifice ourselves. Being in the nursery shouldn't be a sacrifice. It should be a joy. You want to know why? Because if we have the correct mentality, we understand that serving in a nursery enables somebody else to get connected with God. And people, it doesn't return void. You think serving in the nursery is this big deal and oh, and it's, it's a sacrifice. If you come in there and, and just want to serve, I'll tell you what, that person you're serving with may become your best friend. You'll find great relationship and fulfillment in serving together if you, if you stay open to it. The last one is evangelize. I know this word is scary. It's hard. I don't want you to freak out right now that Matt's telling me you got, you got to go out and just preach from the street corner. That's not what I'm saying. Evangelism, at its very basic, is just sharing your story to connect others with God's story. Very, that's the very basic level. So one way I encourage you to, to evangelize 
at work this week, what, what, what do you talk about on Monday? What did you do this weekend? What happened this weekend? And we can, oh, well, we did this and this happened and we watched the game. Well, you went to church. Tell people why you love church. Tell people why you enjoyed going to church, what you learned from going to church. Take notes so you have something to say when somebody asks that question. That's the start. (laughs) Excuse me. So learn, observe, volunteer, and evangelize. I think these four steps help us love God in a way that is healthy. So what do I hope that comes from all that I've said this morning? Well, what I hope is that you feel inspired to love God more. That you don't just want to be like the Pharisees and love the religion and enjoy the benefits. Or like the Sadducees where they love their theology and enjoy the benefits of God. Love God first. And I believe if we love God, the natural outpouring is loving our neighbor. So I hope you feel encouraged this morning. Can we all stand this morning? We're going to sing one more song of worship. And if anything, like I said, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to go away thinking, man, those are four easy steps that I can implement today to make a difference in my faith and get closer to God. We're going to sing one more song. It's called Give Me Faith. And that's really what I, I, I want you to say this morning. Hey, Matt preached a sermon. He, he, told, he told me to live, learn, observe. He told me to volunteer and evangelize. God, give me faith to, to try this out this week. That's my hope for you, is that you'll just try this. Because I believe that if you try these steps, they work. We'll pray. We'll sing one last song of worship and then Turkey Roundup immediately after meet in front. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share your word and what was on my heart. I ask, Lord, that you would bring it forward. Lord God, help us to love you. Lord God, Lord, as we love you, help us to know that it's multi-step. Lord, just like you did, you were asked, what's the greatest commandment? And you gave two, Lord God. Help us to know that these things are connected. Help us to love you with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our strength, Jesus. Lord, and help us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And help us to connect these two things in our hearts. In your name. Amen.